Hey everyone, and welcome to the Grow With Grace podcast. My name is Cindy Van Cleve, the creator and host, and today I'm so excited to be joined by Trey Elizondo. Trey is a former National FFA officer, Texas A&M University graduate, and current resident of Washington, D.C. Tune in to hear all about the National Office in College and Careers. Trey, I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Would you please start by sharing a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I'm Trey Lozondo. I'm originally from Yoakum, Texas, which is a small town in Southeast Texas, where I grew up on a small beef cattle operation. Um, So you can say that agriculture has always been in my blood a little bit. Um, You know, growing up, uh, I went to a small private school and I really, you know, had no exposure to agriculture besides showing cattle um, around the state of Texas. And growing up, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, But then when I graduated from my um, Catholic school in eighth grade and had to move to the big public school, um, I joined an agriculture education class because my dad told me that he loved it uh, whenever he was a student at my high school. Um, And actually, he's famous uh, at my high school for being chapter president three times in a row. And even though I was a national officer, I didn't do that. So I think he's a little bit more famous (laughs) than me. Um, So anyways, it was during that time in ag education that I grew a passion for agriculture and especially telling the story of agriculture. Um, And because of that, um, I got some really cool opportunities whenever I was in high school. I got to be a district FFA officer, an area FFA officer, um, and then one day a national FFA officer where I got to travel the United States for a year and get to meet thousands of FFA members and stakeholders um, and tell the difference that FFA has made in my life and the life that it makes in hundreds of thousands of other FFA members across the nation. Um, so then that led me to studying agricultural at Texas, agriculture at Texas A&M University at Gigum and WHOOP. And um, then led me to a career in Washington, D.C., where every day I get to advocate for different parts of the agriculture industry on Capitol Hill and at different agencies. Um, so that's just like a 100,000 foot overview of my story. Um, but I'm excited to tell you more. Yes, that's so interesting. I definitely didn't know that you went to a private school before this. And I'm um, sorry to say, I'm sure your dad is much more famous for being a <laughs> president than you are being a national officer. But I love mm-hmm. hearing that and I can't wait to dive in deep on your story. So your journey to becoming a national officer was a little different than most. Can you share a little bit about that and what motivated you to run for national office? For sure. You know, um, growing up in Texas FFA, I remember every year I got so excited for whenever the state officers came to visit my chapter. Um, And because of it, I built some really great relationships with state officers. I even let them stay at my house one time whenever they were traveling. And um, I had a dream of being able to be one of those 10 at the time when there was 10 areas when I was in high school um, that got to travel the state of Texas. And um, so I was from area 10 at the time. And my senior year, I made the goal of being a state FFA officer. I was an area FFA officer that year and I got to serve my area and I knew that that was the natural next step. Um, However, it came to summer of 2015. I know I'm old. Um, And so um, it was summer of 2015 and I got to Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, I ran for state FFA office. I made top two from my area. Um, But sadly, um, at the time, uh, things were a little bit different in the process and it weighed really heavily on the vote and I didn't win the vote um, from my area. And because of that, I didn't make the 2015-2016 state FFA officer team. And that was really devastating at the time. Um, but in the end, um, I thought it was super cool how the world worked. And if you believe in God, how I believe that God worked um, in my heart and in that next year of my life, um, because 
because of how I did in the nominating committee process, um, Texas FFA had reached out to me and asked if I would consider running for national FFA office. Now, running for national office was not anything that I ever dreamed of. It was something that I didn't think that I was capable of, and especially didn't think something I was capable of not serving as a state officer because that's unheard of. Um, but because of some really great mentors in my life, like Dr. David Frazier um, from Tarleton State University, uh, mentors at Texas A&M University, and some of my ag teachers, um, I decided to dare and take the chance and run to be the Texas candidate. Um, so I still remember um, being in a Raising Cane's chicken strips at 2 a.m. on like a random weekday night before the nominating committee or before the applications were due to be the Texas candidate um, with three of my best friends, two of them who served as state officers and one of them who didn't, um, trying to decide if I wanted to take this leap of faith and do something different that wasn't heard of. Um, and then it was in that moment, my friends told me like, you know, what, what will hurt? What, what if, but what if it all worked out? And so because of it, I submitted my application and I received the Texas uh, candidacy to run for national office that year. And that was a complete shock to me. I really didn't think I would make it that far. However, it was from the time I was nominated in June to preparing to be a national, run for national office in October, uh, that was a really trying time for me. That was hard. Um, working with other candidates from around the nation, feeling like I wasn't good enough to be there um, because I didn't serve as a state officer. Um, however, it was really funny in the process. Um, one of my best friends from high school, his dad served as National Face Secretary um, in the 80s. And um, he was originally from New Mexico. Um, he was helping me prep. And he told me, and something I never knew is that he... Um, ran for state office in New Mexico and didn't get it. And then he came back the next year and ran for national office and became national face secretary. And we are two of the three national officers that have ever served without being a state officer. And so he helped instill that hope in me and Texas FFA continued to hope, put that hope in me that I could do this um, regardless. Um, so I put my faith in Texas FFA and how they trained me. I put my faith in um, something deeper, which is like my personal faith in God. Um, and I was so lucky that I got to be the third ever national officer to not serve as a state officer and be a national FFA officer. Um, I still remember the moment I was called on stage. I didn't believe it. I didn't think that it could be real, um, but it ended up being an amazing journey. And I would never change a thing because every tear I cried not getting state office was worth being able to sit amongst members um, that also maybe didn't get district office or chapter office or area office or state office as I traveled the nation and getting to share my story with them that just because something doesn't work out one time that doesn't make it a failure and that doesn't mean that you can't keep pursuing your dreams um, so that's a little bit quick story of my journey to national office it was different it was quirky but I'm also different and quirky so it worked out <laughs> I love that I think one thing that I just want like members to know as someone who's been told no when trying for like different opportunities whether it's just a scholarship or an area office or something like that when you say no that doesn't mean there are so many other yeses right past that door of the nose. So I think that, like you said, your story will has will and has like uplifted students like, okay, so I may not have gotten this, but there's still so much that's out there for me. And would mm -hmm. you say that that year in between not making state office and running for national office that you learned a lot more about yourself and like what Trey looked like outside of the blue jacket? 
Oh, for sure. Um, you know, it's funny, all of my national officer teammates and I, we all had a gap year is what we called it, um, where we weren't doing FFA. So all of them served as state officers, then they took a year off before they ran for national office. And then I had my gap year from high school to before I ran for national office. And we were all in agreement that I feel like so often when we're in that blue jacket, we see it as like the catalyst um, that, that the blue jacket is the catalyst of what's going to make us, um, that it's what makes us, that it's what's going to cause our success. And I remember hearing my name not called for state office. And I thought to myself, I said, well, golly, like what's next if I don't have this blue jacket. But in the, in that year, I realized that like the jacket isn't what made me. It was Trey that made me. And that jacket helped build me in different ways, um, but it didn't make me and it wasn't my identity. And so I think that the greatest, I don't think I would have been elected national office if I wouldn't have had that year, not in a blue jacket, because it reminded me that the jacket is great. The organization is amazing, but what is even more amazing is the person that's inside the jacket. And so um, I would say that that year exponentially made me a better person and more aware of who I am. And I'm so, so thankful for it. That's so awesome. I think a lot of times, like I said, we just like take everything because I love my FFA jacket. I mean, I have to wear it tonight at a banquet and all the things <laughs> But just like we love and I love getting an official dress. unlike a lot of my um, people in my chapter. But I just like wonder because I'm graduating this year, like, oh, my gosh, like I won't be getting to go to LDE contest or CDE contest or speaking events. But I hear so many stories of all the things that people do after they've left the FFA program and off after they unzipped their jacket for the last time. I just think it's so incredible because it shows that this organization, because I was a shy kid, I was not ready to raise my hand or do anything like out of the ordinary. But like FFA helped me build into this person who talks to a stranger and tries to do an interview like these kind of things and I just really want members to know that there is so much potential past what you're doing now and just like take all these lessons and put mm -hmm. them into your next step oh I agree 100 percent so while many things have changed with COVID and on distance learning and all the things in a nutshell what would you say a year of national service looks like um do you mean do you mean like what did I do or like what did I experience? Kind of what was that? Um, kind of just like what you do. I think that's what someone was trying to ask. No, that totally makes sense. I <laughs> um, just want to make sure I answered their question right. So, um, a year of national office is a whirlwind, and it's funny because I, you know, working full time as like a real adult now, I don't know how I did it um, as a twenty year old traveling the nation like I did. Um, I think a lot of coffee and a lot of prayer got me through that year, honestly. Um, but a year of national office is truly a whirlwind and truly just the most rewarding experience in the world. Um, so we get elected in October and then all of a sudden they tell us you have three weeks to finish your semester of college. And you, right after Thanksgiving, you're back at the National FFA Center. Um, so I wrapped up my semester at Texas A&M early day after Thanksgiving. I flew out to Indianapolis, Indiana um, and began a year of a lifetime uh, that started with training um, to learn how to be a national officer, how to put on workshops, how to speak in front of members. Um, and then that turned into conferences and traveling and probably my favorite season throughout the year, which was um, 
I was going to say, which was um, state convention season, where we all got nine to 10 state conventions, where we got to travel across the nation and experience. And if you're a Texas FFA member listening, um, you know that our state convention is a state convention that houses 10 to 15,000 students. Um, But what was also super cool to experience as a national officer was experiencing a state convention like Vermont that had 55 students there. And it's so funny because, you know, are the convention you know, a lot of conventions maybe didn't have the laser show or the concerts like Texas FFA does, but it had other things like where members had game nights in the hotels with each other, um, or they like would all hang out all night long, or they would, you know, like they all knew each other. Like if there's only a couple hundred people at a convention and though it looked different, like the experience was just as rich and so, and just as deep, just on a different level, which I thought was so unique. Um, so state convention season was definitely um, one of my favorite seasons and one of my like favorite parts of being a national officer. But in between state conventions, there was times of visiting chapters, um, going to different conferences, but also one of my favorite things was doing business and industry visits and also congressional visits on the Hill, where we got to go tell the story of FFA to our partners that helped make us, help build us not only on a legislative level, but also on a monetary level from our donors. And it's funny because actually my first job in Washington, D.C. came from um, a visit that I did uh, whenever I was a national officer. And that was at the Farm Credit Council here in Washington, D.C., which is the National Trade Association for the Farm Credit System. Um, So I still remember doing that visit. I remember meeting my my boss that I didn't realize would be my boss three years later. And um, because of it, uh, when I graduated college, I saw a job was opening. So I reached out and they remembered me and they hired me, which was so exciting. Um, so, you know, the year was a whirlwind. The year was busy. I traveled 320 days of the year. Um, and I got home every four to eight weeks. Um, but it was an incredible year of meeting thousands of students. And I'm excited that since the pandemic, that national officers are getting to get that holistic experience like I did again. I didn't even realize that like one Vermont was so small in their chapters, but I think that community sounds so interesting and like so, so loving because everyone like 55 people, like you said, just came for one common purpose. And even like thinking about Texas FFA convention this year where the whole Fort Worth convention center was packed. Like you Mm -hmm. couldn't even get across the sea of people just to get into the first general session. So I think that's so incredible that while we may have our large state associations and our small ones, but we all have that one thing and that's a love for the Texas, F- a love for the FFA and the Blue Jacket and agriculture. So oh, you, sure. tapped to, you tapped in on a little on all the things that you got to do, such as like congressional visits, business industry, visiting chapters. But what is some of the coolest, who are some of the coolest people that you met while serving? So um, there's many cool people that I got to meet during my year. Um, So two, I think, very high level experiences that I think really shaped uh, my national officer year was one um, during um, my during the beginning of our year um, was right after the presidential uh, election. Um, So in January of my year, we got to attend the presidential inauguration as well as attend the inaugural ball. Um, so that night, um, of the inauguration, we got to go to this extremely fancy ball where everyone was in tuxes and ball gowns, but then we were in FFA (laughs) official dress and, uh, we got to walk around and meet 
you know, so many members of Congress, as well as people that were going to be cabinet members for the next administration, um, as well as people that were going to work in the White House. And it was an incredible event. And it was actually the first time that I ever visited Washington, D.C. And I distinctly remember we flew in very late the night before the inauguration. And I remember when we flew in and we saw all the monuments um, across, you know, D.C., I remember like telling my teammates, I was like, something feels different here. Like something feels so cool. And it's because of like that moment in that day at the inauguration that um, I ended up falling in love with DC. And it's what brought me back here, which is so cool. Now it's funny, one of the other most pivotal times of my national office year happened the day after the inauguration. Um, and that's where we got in a plane and flew 14 hours to the country of Japan, where we spent um, two and a half weeks with the future farmers of Japan. And that experience was so incredible to see how agriculture is ingrained in a different country in just such different ways. Um, so my teammates and I got to see large-scale production agriculture in Japan, which was a farm that was 18 acres, um, which is so funny that they consider that a large, huge farm. Whenever here in the U.S., we consider thousands upon thousands of acres a large farm. Um, so that was an incredible experience that gave me a new passion for international ag. But also, there's so many students that made um, this that year so incredible. And one week that I'll never forget was um, a week at Wyoming FFA camp um, in June of my year, um, where it was up on top of a mountain so high that it didn't have cell phone service. And then even though it was the middle of like summer, it snowed every night. And um, because of it, I was there for six days with no cell phone service with all of these students, like going hiking and playing volleyball and like going through the different sessions that they had that I've never felt like maybe more like a kid in my life and being unplugged. And like we've made our own meals over fire. Like it was incredible. And I've never felt so connected to like, I know this sounds weird, but the earth, uh, but also like the people around me because I was so unplugged that, you know, I'll always say that because of that week and because of the members I met, that if I had to trade that week for my national convention, which of course was a huge celebration of a year, oh, I would trade national convention in a heartbeat to go back there. Like it was incredible. <laughs> um, so those three experiences really shaped my year. Really cool people I met along the way, whether it be members of Congress um, at the inauguration, members of the future farmers of Japan and Japan, or just really cool Wyoming FFA members that helped me cook hot dog weenies <laughs> over an open fire so we can eat. And it was incredible all the way around. That's so cool. So Bobby Tucker, the first national FFA president from Texas, he's from my chapter. And I had, oh, the, cool. yeah, I had the opportunity to interview him back when I first started it. And I remember him telling me about how he got to meet a president and how he traveled internationally, and how he did all these things, and I find it so crazy how it's so similar to what y'all are doing, but on a different, like, scale, when you think of, like, how much we've changed, and how much we've grown, but that's so awesome, Japan, I, I couldn't you know, even imagine, like, what that must have felt like, and then even just, like, the small moments of unplugging in Wyoming, so that's mm. so incredible, and I've got to, I'm not gonna lie, at an inaugural um that that's, that's so cool to me like yeah. I think that is just the coolest thing so wow it's so hard to just think of like oh my gosh look at all the <laughs> things that they're getting from you. <laughs> mm -hmm. so having your story to becoming a national officer being so different than 
what many members and like what we see commonly. What is your best advice that you would give to FFA members who are looking at, into running for state office? Mm. With 100% clarity, you know, I think a big difference between the tray that ran for state office and the tray that ran for national office is when I ran for state office, of course, like I said in the beginning, like I had met so many state officers during my time in high school and I admired them so much, which is so cool because we should admire state officers. They are doing an incredible service, but I felt like so often that like I didn't fit the mold of what a state officer looked like. And so I feel like when I went into those interviews and when I gave my speech, like a lot of it was like 70% tray and not a hundred percent tray. And it was because I wanted to be what I thought a state officer was. And on the other end of things, when I ran for national office, I decided that if I want, if I get elected to national office, I want it to be because I was a hundred percent tray in that room during interview rounds. And it's funny because at the end of the day, um, after I got elected, one of the nominating committee members for on the national nomcom told me, um, she said, um, she told me she was like, we couldn't just not elect you because we knew exactly who you were and we knew that students needed you. And that meant the world to me because that meant that that goal that I had of being a hundred percent tray worked in the end. And I think at the end of the day, at whatever capacity we serve, um, whether that even be like if we play football or basketball or soccer or whatever we do, if we want to lead who people need is us. They don't need any other version of us of what we think that we should be. So I think that like my biggest advice for any student running for state office or national office or even district or chapter office is that exactly who FFA members need is exactly who you are. And you can ask my national officer teammates. You can probably ask any member I met during my year that I am very quirky. I'm silly. I have the loudest laugh of all time and I'm very sassy. And that is who I am. And I let that be, you know, exactly who I needed to be during my year and during the interview process. So I would definitely suggest to any of them just to be themselves. That's all you can be. That's who you're created to be. Nothing more, nothing less. So what would you say for like members who aren't sure if they're running for state office for the right reasons? I know we hear like a lot of stories of like, oh my gosh, I want to be a state officer, but sometimes what if they're not like how do you make sure that like you're wanting to run for the right reasons and not just for that position or that title or the way that people look up to you strictly because you have the state association on the back of the jacket? Yeah. And, you know, I get it. Like, it's exciting to think about having a jacket that has state association or like as a national officer, having a blank jacket, which is so rare and so cool. Um, but I would think about <laughs> state office and national office is hard. It's hard. You know, at the end of the day, we as members see the finished product of state office and national office. We see them at state convention. We see them on stage. We see them after a year um, and they get to see the celebration of their year and, you know, their retiring addresses and all the other things that come with the state convention. But I would tell members that are considering it, they don't know if they're doing it for the right reason to think about what it's going to be like to walk into a chapter, what excites you about walking into a chapter, um, what excites you about getting to spend time with your teammates um, and think about what excites you about like doing like the, the grungiest things about that come with state and national office. Like I said earlier, like my national convention was great. I had a lot of fun giving an RA was, you know, fun, but 
getting to be at Wyoming FFA camp or Kentucky FFA state convention or Vermont state convention where I was freezing my butt off because it was 28 degrees and it was in a barn, you know, like I would do that any day. So think about like the moments that come between election and retirement. Think about those moments. And if you're excited for those moments, and if you're excited for those moments of walking into a chapter, or maybe students aren't that excited to see you, they're just looking to get out of class, but you want to make them enjoy that workshop anyways, then you know you're in the right place. If you're thinking about that end product where you get to give a retiring address and run through a tunnel of people, and it's so exciting, then it is exciting and it's cool, but it shouldn't be the main goal. I think that is perfectly well said. So moving on to the last question, as far as FFA goes, who was your favorite teammate and why? And now I'd like to say on the air, I know who asked this question. I (laughs) wanted to see if it was who I thought it was. So I really hope you get this answer right, but you can deal with the, um, what is the repercussions? repercussions. If you don't say the right name. You know, it's funny. Um, I loved all my teammates very equally is what I'm going to say. And um, I actually admire them all for very, very different reasons. Um, When I think of our president, David, I think about how well he led all of us so well. And I think about our secretary, Victoria from Florida. She is probably the smartest human I've ever met in my life. And she's in vet school now about to finish up. And she is so inquisitive and made us think deeper. And when I think about Valerie, um, my uh, who's central region from Minnesota, um, she was so kind and she made us feel so loved. And when I think about Deshaun, um, who is Southern region from South Carolina, I think about how much fun he was and how much members had so much fun with him. And um, I think about Ashley, um, I think about how deeply she cared for members, which I thought was so cool. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's so cool seeing how members needed all of us for different reasons. Um, whereas some of us could give one heck of a speech and inspire members where other ones of us could go into a chapter and sit crisscross applesauce on the floor with students and make deep connections. We all connected in different ways and I love them all deeply. So I'm not going to give my favorite answer. I'm sure I can guess which one of, of them asked. I feel like it might've been David. Yeah, I think that was it. <laughs> yes, it was David. Um, and David is one of my very dear best friends, but I love them all equally. And I think they're all incredible. Well, I think you'll be fine with the response that you gave. And I think that's <laughs> special how each and every person kind of helped grow you in a different way and how they had their own talents and gifts that help connect to other members. Oh, so- for sure. So moving on, you attended Texas A&M University and graduated in 2019? 2020. 2020, okay. Mm. Ish. It is around that time. Yeah, yeah, no, you're good. What did your time look like in College Station slash what was your degree plan? Yeah, so um, technically I consider myself class of 2019 because um, that's when I was supposed to graduate because I took, but I took a year off. Um, so I graduated in 2020, but I've always kept like 2019 because that's where all my best friends graduated was in 2019. So I always call myself 2019, but I graduated in 2020. Um, but anyways, when I got to um, Texas A&M, I was an ag education major uh, with plans of going back to the classroom. However, um, after my national officer year, I realized that my passion was a little bit deeper in different parts of the agriculture industry that I wasn't really sure of yet. Um, So because of that, I changed my degree to agricultural leadership and development and also communications. Um, 
So um, it was there that I kind of explored all different types of agriculture because I wasn't sure where exactly I wanted to go after graduation. Um, but during my time on campus, oh, I had so much fun. I love College Station and I love Texas a with all my heart. Um, I was involved in the College of Ag and Life Science Student Council. I was undergraduate, undergraduate teaching assistant for the Intro to the Ag College class. Um, I was also really involved in student government where I served as um, a student senator on behalf of the College of Ag, um, as well as my senior year, I was the diversity commissioner. Um, so I was appointed by the president of the university um, to be in charge of all diversity efforts on campus to ensure that everyone had an inclusive um, and an inclusive home at Texas A&M. Um, so those were some really cool experiences that I had while I was at Texas A&M. I also had some really cool internship experiences. Um, I interned for Elenco Animal Health in Indianapolis, Indiana, where I worked in marketing. And then I also worked um, at the United States Department of Agriculture here in DC, um, where I worked in the office of the Secretary of Agriculture, uh, which was an incredible experience getting to see ag policy firsthand and truly was the experience that really drove me here to DC. Um, so A&M was great. If you're headed to Texas A&M, um, get as involved as you can. It's an amazing campus. Go to as many football games as you can. Um, but also if you're going to any other college and you can enjoy too, but the best college is Texas A&M. So <laughs> that's where I'm applying right now. So it seems like every single person I've interviewed is from Texas A&M. I was like, well, there's a common thread for greatness. So <laughs> no, it's the best. It is. <laughs> now the question of the ages, what do you do for a living now? And what is your career? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I am, my technical titles, I'm a government relations manager at Monument Advocacy um, here in Washington, D.C. Um, so Monument Advocacy is a bipartisan lobbying and um, consulting firm that provides public affairs, um, government relations, and different types of consulting for different, um, um, different parts of, a, sorry, I got an email that distracted me, uh, from different, for different, um, industries. So I work technically on the food and agriculture team at Monument Advocacy. So I provide government relations support uh, for different organizations. So like some of my clients include Chobani Yogurt, um, Cliff Bar, if you've ever had Cliff Bar, um, Amazon, um, Starbucks, um, also Alcoa, which is a really fun aluminum company. They're actually my favorite client, which is kind of weird and they're ag adjacent, but like, I just love their team and I love their mission of sustainability. So weird tangent, but, uh, incredible. Um, also one of my other favorite clients is Genomatica, which actually makes nylon for Lululemon out of corn. Um, so that all of Lululemon's um, leggings and other nylon products are made sustainably from agriculture-based products. Um, so basically, day-to-day -day looks very different. Um, here in my job, um, whether I go to the Hill and take meetings with members of Congress, I have clients here in the office where I provide support to them um, on different parts of ag policy, um, or also provide public affairs help where we help um, in different situations in which they're in. So it's a lot of fun. It's very crazy. Um, last week I worked from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every week um, or every day um, because we had a lot of clients in town, but um, an incredible experience and an incredible job now. So that sounds so interesting. And as someone who's like wanting to go into the agriculture industry and communications and marketing and all the things, I just love hearing about all the different opportunities and one, the opportunities in agriculture so that our members can 
and like people who are listening can really see like the large scale that agriculture is more than sows, plows, and cows, but we have all these different subcategories in the industry. So our last question for today is, throughout all these moments, where do you feel like you've experienced the most growth? And in one word, what would you use to describe that growth? Mm. You know, I think in all these moments, I have had to learn what it means to be like resilient. And what I mean by that is that, you know, not getting state office um, and having to go through all of that and then run for national office and the national office, um, you know, having to be resilient in a year that was so taxing and tiring. Um, and then also like in college where, you know, sometimes I didn't get into an organization that I wanted or got a position that I wanted, but coming back anyways, or graduating during a freaking global pandemic and applying for jobs and getting told no, because no one was hiring. Like I've had to be resilient. But one thing that I've learned through that resiliency is that if you continue trying over and over again, and if you believe in who you are and you believe in your abilities, there's nothing that you can't do. And, you know, it's funny, I've been told no a lot more than I've been told yes in my life. And a lot of people think because I'm a national officer and because I have a cool job now that that's not true. Um, well, it's very true. And I've been told no a lot. And so I think the biggest thing I've learned is the power of resiliency. And I think the power of resiliency comes from believing that you are enough. And it's funny on my wrist right here, you can see I have tattooed the word enough because it's a reminder to me every day that I am enough. And I think because I am enough, I choose resiliency. Um, even when I do mess up at work or I do mess up in a friendship or a relationship, or I do mess up on, you know, anything that I'm working in that I can be resilient and that I was created to be Trey, nothing more, nothing less um, and nothing altered. And so I think the big word that I would say that I have learned through my short 26 years here on earth um, is to be resilient and that resiliency is so key. And so I hope anybody that listened this far, well, thanks for listening to my voice for this long, but I hope you know just extremely how enough you are and that with the power of resiliency, you can accomplish anything you want to. Thank you. That is so well said, just resiliency. I think that was so perfect and just how you like um, took it in with your story. And I will say your voice is very calming. I've just been like, yes, I like, I just love, <laughs> I'm just like, wow. <laughs> so well, this has you. been so fun. I've really just enjoyed talking with you and hearing your story. And I just know that whoever's listening is going to be, feel so inspired. And so thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to release it and have everyone listen to it and all the things. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Sydney. You're so extremely sweet. And know that I'm sending all the prayers and all the good vibes as you apply to Texas A&M and you finish off this last year in a blue jacket. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.